Welcome to Homeschool Your Way, the upbeat, open-minded podcast that informs and affirms your choices about your kids' education. We'll provide a buffet of ideas to inspire you to homeschool your way, because your way is the best way. All of the content on the Homeschool Your Way podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts or guests of the show are not necessarily endorsed by Bookshark. Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. My name is Jana Cook, and I am the community manager of Bookshark and your guest host. For those who are wondering, Jimena and Didi are taking a short break so they can work on season two of Homeschool Your Way. They can't wait to get back to you. Are you having a hard time getting science experiments to work at home? Why do the how-to videos make it look so easy? Does it feel pointless to try science experiments just to fail? We hope to make science at home a more positive experience after you've listened to this episode of Homeschool Your Way. First, let's take some time to talk about self-care. Self-care can be as simple as a special piece of chocolate, a quiet bubble bath, a quick walk around the block, or anything that brings you joy. I have a friend that takes her ice cream in the bathtub every Sunday night and watches a show. Now that's way too many moving parts for me, but she enjoys it. My self-care is taking my husband grocery shopping on a Friday or Saturday afternoon. We typically grab lunch, run a few errands, and then knock out the groceries. I consider this self-care because while I could manage it alone, I love spending time together. Let me know what self-care looks like for you. Go to bookshark.com slash podcast and leave a comment. Are you ready to start making science work at home? Well, I'm ready to share this discussion with Amy Ratliff. This is taken from a virtual event sponsored by Bookshark. I want to welcome you, Amy. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Jana. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Bookshark. Sure. So I've been with Bookshark for, I think, about three years now. And a lot of what I do is edit, write, design a lot of the curriculum for Bookshark. Um, I work with a team of people. So all of us have our own different roles of picking out new books, um, writing new questions and assignments to go with them. And I've just been enjoying getting a taste of all of the different parts of designing our curriculum. Um, and I'm excited to be here to share about um, some of my experience with homeschool science today. Now, you've been immersed in Bookshark Science um, for the last couple of years. Is that correct? That's right. Yes, I've been working on a lot of new science programs that we've been trying to release. Um, so we A few years ago, released a history of science program that incorporates some history books uh, telling the story of science. It's called The Story of Science by Joy Hakeem, along with a series of science labs to go with that. So I worked on that for a little bit. And I've also been working on helping revamp our curriculum to be a standards-based curriculum, which should be released in the near future. Wonderful. Well, that does make you our expert in the room because I am not immersed in science the way that you are. I think the burning question that I have as a homeschool mom is how to make science work at home. 
I've heard through different forums and on our Facebook that, you know, sometimes science experiments just don't work, even when you feel like you're following the directions to a T. So maybe you could speak to us parents um, about maybe some of the reasons why it's not working and then give us some tips on how to keep it going until we get the right result. Yeah, that's definitely something that I hear too. And, um, and it, it makes sense because when I was growing up, you know, I attended public school and our science teacher had all of these perfect science experiments set up for us with all of their expensive equipment and exact measurements. And like they've practiced the experiments before to make sure it all goes perfectly well when they demonstrate for the students. Um, but unfortunately, as a homeschool mom, you don't have access to all of the expensive equipment and you're just going off of a list of instructions. Now, often those instructions are very well thought out and written by people who have gone through the experiment a lot. And so when you see those kinds of experiments being done by science teachers in classrooms, you think, at least I grew up to think, science always works perfectly all the time. <laughs> but the answer is, that's actually not true. There's actually a million and one variables that go into every experiment ever. And if anything is slightly off, it can throw the rest of the experiments off. So I, I think that that's one of the reasons that doing science at home can be more difficult is because you expect it to go well. And if anything goes slightly off, you're like, why is the science not working? Why is science not perfect? And it's because there's just a million and one variables and something's changing. From personal experience, I know when, if I think about when I'm cooking in particular, if I don't have a certain spice, I can improvise, right? Like, like you're talking about mm -hmm. variables. And I feel like sometimes as parents, we are more prone to improvise when we need to understand that if you change any of those variables, you change the outcome of the experiment. And so that's mm -hmm. why that list of instructions and um, items needed is so important to help it go get to your um, results in the best way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And honestly, part of something that I think is really important to teach your students is that science is actually mostly about experimentation and changing the variables and like being willing to observe what's happening during your experiment, change how you're doing something and retest. Like that's actually what science is all about. It's not about memorizing vocabulary words or equations, although those are very helpful. Most of science and like what professional scientists do is hypothesize, experiment, re-experiment, adjust, draw conclusions, all of that stuff, it's its a process and not necessarily a one-time, this is what science is, um, like demonstration. Amy, there's something that I had heard, and maybe you can explain the difference between the, a scientific model and a scientific experiment. What are the differences there? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think um, drawing on what I've, I've been saying so far is that lots of what we think science experiments are, are actually scientific models. So what my high school chemistry teacher did was burn a certain chemical 
to demonstrate a scientific principle to her students. Um, and there is a role for doing scientific models with students because it helps them see and understand something. But the experiment is, okay, kid, you here's what you're going to do. And there's not one specific set outcome. There might be a, an expected outcome, mm -hmm. but it's more about engaging the critical thinking um, aspect of the child's mind because they have to become problem solvers and figure out maybe how to achieve the expected results. Or also, if they are not achieving the expected results, they have to think what is going on earlier in the experiment um, that is causing this. And so they're determining the causality of the situation. So what I hear you saying is try, try, and try again. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know in my experience with my children, when something doesn't work right away, and then I step in and start to help kind of move them in the direction of problem solving, um, when we do finally get the experiment get the expected outcome. I think you make a really good point. Like what was the expected outcome? When you're doing a science experiment, that expected outcome is given to you, right? Like here's what you should create. But when you don't get there, it's that scientific method to hypothesize again, try it a different way, see where we went wrong. And when we do finally get the expected result or a result that we didn't expect, what we're very satisfied with, it is like an aha moment in our Yay. learning time. Yes. Yeah. It feels really good to get that expected result after having fought for it a little bit, although the fighting can be frustrating. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think something that as a homeschool mom, I didn't ever really think about was doing the experiment before I start with my child, especially at the younger ages, right? If you want to get them excited and see that it actually works, as opposed to opening up that book that day, and just doing it and then troubleshooting in front of them. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I definitely do that with my older children, but I could see how maybe prepping a little bit beforehand could take a lot of the frustration out of trying to make science work at home. Yeah, that could definitely be a great option for younger children. But yeah, if you have older children like yourself, I also think it is perfectly acceptable and even good for your child to say, why didn't this work? And you say, I don't know, mm -hmm. really, let's try to figure it out. So like you, then you are modeling the critical thinking and troubleshooting skills mm -hmm. that kids need to know to become adults to work on any workplace actually. So it's not really, there's really not failure in science. And maybe that's what parents need to hear is that when something doesn't have an expected outcome, it's not a failure. It's not that it didn't work. It's just a jumping off point to start again in a different way. It's science. <laughs> yes. Right. But science is unique in that way because with math, right, math has a, there's, there's not a lot of variables. You, there's one answer and you can get to it a couple different ways, but you're going to get one answer in science. It's just not that way. And I think maybe, you know, I needed to hear that I have permission to mess up while doing science experience with my children, because that really is part of the process. It is. Mm -hmm. 
So let's talk a little bit about how you can, what other ways we can teach science. We've touched on hands-on experiments, which is obviously, you know, people think like probably the most fun part of science when you get your hands dirty and you guys are, you know, working together in this problem solving. But what are some of the other ways that you can teach science to your children at home? Sure. I mean, yeah, project-based learning is a really important part of science and is very, especially for those hands-on kids, like it's going to engage them in, um, in being very active in what they learn. And honestly, the, the biggest part with teaching your kids science or any subject, honestly, is to engage their desires. Like, what are they delighting in? What are they curious about? What do they love to learn? And making sure that you, um, that you embrace that and like and encourage that and bring that more to light. And so um, there are definitely other ways for science to be taught to your kids. Uh, one of the ways that a lot of parents do that, and I remember my mom doing this a little bit because she homeschooled me for a few years, you know, a long time ago, um, is unit studies. So unit studies is very focused on one specific topic or subject and you just incorporate different ways of learning about it. You could read a book. You could watch a documentary on the Discovery Channel. You could go on a field trip. You could um, go on, yeah, so, so like a field trip, like one of my mom's unit studies that she talked me through was um, I was just obsessed with dogs and I wanted to like become a vet when I grew up, like all little girls do, mm-hmm, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So we took a trip to the vet and watched a surgery happen. We went to dog shows. We like learned um, how to train dogs, even though I didn't have a dog. We went to agility courses. Like there's just so many different ways that I could learn about canines mm-hmm. in both as like a social and a scientific way. And so... Um, you can do that with basically anything that your kid is interested in with, you know, studies and just you, be a little creative, like bring in all the different aspects of um, just be a little creative and like bring a lot of aspects in um, of different multi-sensory events and ways to delve into that subject with your kid. And for those of you who aren't creative, like myself, we have wonderful curriculum companies that create those unit studies for us, like Bookshark. And so for the 36 weeks, you will have a theme. And then each week, it will be a unit study that falls under that theme. And so they give you ideas to help your creativity, um, different ideas for field trips, or if your child really is into a certain subject and you want to capitalize on that, there's further there's ideas of going further that this particular Bookshark's curriculum will give you. And that's super helpful for parents like me who tend to really have creativity in other ways, but not so much in science. Absolutely. There's plenty of resources out there. Um, I love looking up extra resources to include in Bookshark's curriculum. And we schedule like optional activities every week to say, do this and do that. But because I'm helping write all of that, um, there's so many resources on the internet that I have found that I just love sending to other people. So there's like Khan Academy has so many videos that explain scientific ideas to me. Um, there's a, a website called Science Buddies 
There is like National Geographic and Discovery has all sorts of stuff. NASA has stuff. Let's see. There's also, I mean, there's so many teachers in the world and they just love posting things and like sharing their creativity with the world. So you can find many unit studies on Pinterest or on websites like Teachers Pay Teachers. There's just so much out there that if you just do a simple web search for your, what you want your child to learn, you will definitely come up with a lot of resources and you can piece them all together or you can go with Bookshark who pieces them all together for you. <laughs> well, that's definitely what I did and it has worked well. Here's a word from our sponsor. take a break from your regular curriculum, like to do a fun field trip or a unit study? Oh yeah, I do that all the time. I love to mix things up. Well, I know your son loves science. You should check out the new unit study from Bookshark. It's all about volcanoes and it's free. Ooh, free. I like that. Yeah. Just go to bookshark.com freebies to see this new unit study and all their other free offers. Well, my kids are too old for this since it's for grades three to six, but it looks exactly like something we would have loved to do. And it's literature based like all of Bookshark curriculum. So there's a book you'll need called How Hot Is Lava? You can probably get a copy from your library. The free unit study tells you which pages to read each day and then provides vocabulary words, discussion questions, activity pages, hands-on activity ideas, a YouTube video playlist, dictation passages, art study, and more. Wow, that's a lot of great stuff. And I love that it's a two-week study. That's a perfect length, in my opinion. You get to dive deep into volcanoes, and then you're done. Absolutely. It's a no-strings-attached offer from Bookshark for grades three through six. Just go to bookshark.com freebies to request your PDF. Before we jump back into my discussion with Amy, I would love to hear what you are reading. To share, go to bookshark.com podcast to leave a comment. How many of you listen to audiobooks? Now, I enjoy multitasking. So if I am driving, cleaning, cooking, or crocheting, I love to be able to listen to a book at the same time. Now, I have attempted to read The Great Gatsby several times throughout my years with little success. I decided to listen to the audiobook instead. And while I enjoyed the story, I was left with sadness for all the characters in the end. Perhaps that's why it took me so long to read it. And maybe that's why it's considered a classic of its time. Let me know what you're reading. Amy has more to share about science and helpful homeschool tips. All right, we've covered hands-on experiments. We've covered unit studies. What about this idea of living books to learn science? Living books is another great way to learn about science, especially if your kid is into reading or even if they're not into reading, but you want to encourage them to love reading. Um, So living books are usually written in a way that almost tells a story about science. And there's a lot of them out there. Um, Like we mentioned earlier, the history of science by Joy Hakeem is a few examples of living books with science that I really like because you learn about the scientist's life and how their discovery fit into the overall scheme of the evolution of science for the past, you know, couple thousand years. Um, 
but there's all sorts of living books out there um, that also appeal to kindergartners and very young children all the way up to adults like you and I. Um, and those are all also listed out in the web on, on the internet <laughs> where you can find all of the living books that just really engage your student by teaching them science in the course of the story. I think that in this day and age, when we're so used to our children being entertained, we have this beautiful option of entertaining them with the story and they might not even realize that they're learning about science. You know, Mm -hmm. you mentioned there's pictures, there's picture books that will tell, you know, the history or a story about a certain scientist as they're making their scientific discoveries. And so now you're engaging your child in this story, but you're also teaching them the foundations of that particular subject in science. Mm -hmm. Right. And some parts of science lend itself very well to story. Um, so for example, when Mendeleev was experimenting with his pea plants and like seeing like some plants were white, some plants were purple, some were tall, some were short and experimenting with all of the genetics of the plants. One of the best ways to learn about that is to go through the story with him to determine, oh, well, this and this make, this parent and this parent make this child, this parent and this parent make this child, instead of just saying, well, there's dominant and recessive genes. And so you just got to learn that kid. Like it is much more engaging to learn about genetics as Mendeleev experimented. I think that's something that I've discovered over the years of homeschooling with my children is that science really is very engaging. Um, like I've learned with math, homeschooling my children, that it's it's everywhere. Science is everywhere we look, right? Like we don't we don't look at two flowers next to each other and immediately think about dominant and recessive genes in the Mm -hmm. genetics part of it, but we can observe the differences. And so if we just teach our children to kind of turn on that natural curiosity and maybe ask those questions just in a natural setting, we just talk about how much Bookshark is about the natural approach. And I think science is, again, one of those subjects where that really works well. If you see your child curious about something, if you know to just ask a question in a certain way, which not even, it doesn't have to be a scientific question, right? Why do you think that one is taller than the other one? Or, you know, you just engage in these conversations. They're learning science. They may not be sitting down with a textbook going over, you know, it's exciting to kind of get the word out for parents, especially when there's been some fatigue in the last year or so with trying to figure out, what you're using to educate your child or what it looks like now to educate your child at home that I think as a parent, we can get overwhelmed and just kind of not think outside the box. And so I hope that this talk is getting parents excited to about science themselves and that excitement will spill over when they're doing it with their children for sure. I hope so too. I like science and I hope that everybody's able to engage with science with a, a critical thinking mind, yet like encouraging, curious, going to go after the end answer kind of mind. So if you had an opportunity, which we do now, to just talk to some parents who are maybe struggling at home with science, what would some pointers be from you as a um, product development standpoint for these parents? Mm-hmm. Like what is your hope and desire as you're putting these unit studies together for these parents who are going to be using them? 
good question. Um, well, one thing, I mean, yeah, one thing is to just watch your child and see what is sparking their curiosity and what is not. Um, obviously, all children should eventually know everything of, or like a good foundation of science. But if they're really loving one specific subject over another, it is okay to put aside your main program. And in, like it's more important to engage their love of learning than to follow some schedule or, or, a, or reading plan or to do to push through a book or an experiment that is just discouraging them. It is okay to not follow our plan. <laughs> it's not it's okay to make your own. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is to have perseverance um, because it is more difficult to make experiments work well at home. Um, it's okay to be humble with your kids. Say, I don't know. Let's pick ourselves back up after this failed experiment. That's not actually a failed experiment to try again and again and again. Like the real scientists throughout all of history had to try so many times to get their experiments right. Um, and if, if you're following an experiment plan, the good news is that there are people who have gone before you to put that together and give you um, like stepping stones to make your way through it. But ultimately, um, but ultimately you leading your kid down the road of thinking critically is going to be the best way to teach them science. Um, a third thing is to recognize that you have already taught your students a lot of science without knowing it. Um, teaching them about gravity and falling down, teaching them that watering flowers makes them grow, teaching them that adding different things to your cooking recipe is actually a different form of chemistry. Um, there's everything that you see around you is science. Everything that your student is learning ultimately can be broken down to be some sort of science. Um, so you have already taught them, you already know a lot of science yourself, even if you think you're not good at science, you actually know a lot of science yourself and just be encouraged that you are an adult and you can um, approach science with um, actually a great deal of knowledge and ability to handle um, the experiments as it comes to you, you can do this. <laughs> I agree. We can do it. I think as parents, sometimes we, again, we get overwhelmed and then we feel like we're ill-equipped. But the truth is we do have the resources within ourselves for the knowledge that we've gained over the years. We have resources outside of ourselves, like we've mentioned with Bookshark Unit Studies for Science. Um, hands-on experiments weekly in different packages. But you also have a wealth of resources within the internet, and the ones that Amy had mentioned. So hopefully you are encouraged, just a little bit more confident. Thank you for listening today. I look forward to the next episode of Homeschool Your Way. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. 
And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com slash podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.